Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, my name is Robert Lamb, and this is The Monster Fact, a short-form series from Stuff to Blow Your Mind, focusing in on mythical creatures, ideas, and monsters in time. We have a special omnibus episode of the monster fact here for you this week, collecting four past episodes about miscellaneous creatures from the Dungeons and Dragons universe and the possible science behind them. This was actually a listener submitted idea, so we hope you enjoy the experiment. Up first, the Nosferatu. Countless variations of the vampire have emerged from our popular culture, fed by the blood of global myths, folktales, and legends. Some are sparkly and sexy, others sinister and dangerous, others altogether monstrous. The Nosferatu vampire has come into its own, a pale, emaciated body with ghoulish features, bat-like ears, and a pair of elongated incisors for piercing the skin of their victims, rather than the elongated canine teeth found in so many other vampire depictions. While not always completely devoid of humanity, they tend toward the purely monstrous end of the vampiric spectrum. They have been consumed by their unnatural thirst, and this may leave them in a primal state, or one in which their human memories have faded gossamer thin. Naturally, this monster dates back to the 1922 silent German expressionist film Nosferatu, A Symphony of Horror which in turn has been reimagined many times, including in the Werner Herzog 1979 film Nosferatu the Vampire. I find the Nosferatu particularly engaging in light of what we know of obligate sangovars in the natural world, particularly vampire bats. It is a highly specialized diet, blood, 
and not at all an easy survival path. Unlike their insect and fruit-eating relatives, vampire bats cannot hibernate or migrate. They lack the fat store, so instead they must feed every night, lapping up 50% of their body weight in order to survive. So too, the Nosferatu seems shackled to its thirst. In the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons, the Nosferatu merits its own monster manual entry, separate from all the other blood drinkers. With a level 8 challenge rating, it's no pushover, but it's both powerful and in some ways fragile, hypersensitive to sunlight. It has a few different attack actions at its disposal, including Blood Disgorge, in which, quote, the Nosferatu vomits blood in a 15-foot cone. In doing this, it inflicts necrotic damage on any hapless hero in its way. In the natural world, scavenging vultures are known to disgorge their meals when threatened, perhaps to bribe the attacker or to lighten their load for an escape flight. This would be a fitting comparison for the Nosferatu. But the Texas Hornet Lizard boasts an impressive defense as well. While its camouflage is generally quite effective, it can also shoot a stream of blood out of its eyelids with a range of up to five feet. According to the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, the blood also contains a bitter chemical, possibly derived from ants in the lizard's diet, which predators such as coyotes find particularly distasteful. The lizard can use up to a third of its total blood supply in this counterattack, but it gets the message across. And now, let's discuss the owl bear. The owl bear has a long history in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, dating all the way back to the gaming table of D&D pioneer Gary Gygax who was allegedly inspired by the design of a Japanese kaiju toy, which he used as a mini on his gaming table. You can look up images of the toy, a slightly derpy, beaked monster in yellow plastic standing in the traditional stance of an old-school T-Rex toy. Now, you'll find various choices of dedicated owlbear miniature today, as the creature has become a standard of fantasy role-playing adventures, a hulking, flightless owl beast that stalks the forests, hunting anything that moves and littering its lair with their bones. It is not an evil monster, but rather a neutral denizen of the fantastic forest. The 5th edition Monster Manual tells us that while the exact origins of the owlbear are unknown, there are two prevailing theories. Either a mad wizard spliced an owl and a bear together into a single beast, or it has simply always been a part of the fey wild, which I guess is uh, basically like saying it's a naturally occurring organism. Fair enough. In the world of Dungeons and Dragons, magic has an objective reality, as do just about every god and devil you could possibly imagine. But what fascinates me about the owlbear is that none of that seems quite required. It feels highly probable. It's, uh, it's a whole different kettle of fish compared to something like a beholder or even a fire-breathing dragon. It is, in essence, a large flightless owl that has come to fill the ecological niche formerly occupied by a bear. In the natural world, most bear species are omnivores, with pandas and polar bears representing the dietary extremes on either side herbivore and carnivore, respectively. 
It's implied that owlbears are carnivores, but I think we can easily imagine them obtaining nourishment however they can. From freshly mauled adventurers and scavenged corpses to elven compost bins and maybe a few fresh berries. You might counter that owls, on the other hand, are certainly carnivorous, but the burrowing owl, which will chase its prey across the ground, consumes fruit and seeds in addition to various invertebrates and small vertebrates. The burrowing owl is still capable of flight and will swoop down on its prey, but its scampering tactics make it perhaps the closest thing to an actual owl bear in our world, despite its small size. A more fitting match from uh, prehistoric times, however, can be found in the giant Cuban owl, or Ornimegalonyx, which thrived on the island of what is now Cuba during the late Pleistocene period. These owls measured 3 feet 7 inches or 1.1 meters in height and were either flightless or nearly flightless. They are the largest owls known to have ever existed in the natural world. The giant Cuban owl and other large prehistoric birds, including the moa, thrived on islands and continents that land mammals hadn't reached yet. In these places, they filled niches typically filled by carnivorous mammals and megafauna. So, as far as my thinking goes, we don't need mad wizards to arrive at the owlbear. We just need an ecosystem isolated from mammals in which some manner of ground-hunting owl can steadily adapt toward filling the role traditionally occupied by bears. This would also work if some previously dominant organism had been wiped out and owls were able to move into that vacant niche. But of course, in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, dinosaurs and dragons coexist, so it's hard to imagine there being too many opportunities for evolving organisms like this. So maybe a mad wizard is required after all? Well, my son Sebastian, who actually just gave me an owlbear mini for Father's Day, suggests that it could have been the work of druids, seeking not to release a ferocious monster on the world and challenge adventurers, but rather to bolster a challenged environment where perhaps adventurers had wiped out the bears and there was this lovely niche that needed filling. Well, why not the owl? Why not the owl bear? Thanks to my son, Sebastian, for chiming in on this one. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential, and then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our third selection is The Salt Dragon. From green dragons to golden dragons, from solar dragons to lunar dragons, the world of Dungeons and Dragons has, well, a lot of dragons. One variety that hasn't officially seen the light of day since second edition is the salt dragon of the Forgotten Realms setting. These pale yellow and white dragons were said to inhabit salt-encrusted lands, and their breath weapon was fittingly salt-themed as well. They expelled a cone of salt crystals that could blind and wound enemies both above and beneath the water. While there are no true salt dragons in the natural world, we do have the Galapagos marine iguana, an endemic algae-eating iguana species that adapted to thrive on the isolated islands of the Galapagos. These are marvelous creatures to watch, sometimes comical and amusing as they bask on shoreside rocks and landings, but utterly graceful in the water. While ashore, they frequently appear to sneeze. This is actually a means of clearing excess salt from their bodies via special glands at the nostrils. The resulting salt crystals sometimes encrust the thorny heads of the lounging creatures, giving them an even saltier appearance. Those horny protrusions on the head, by the way, help scrape algae away from the rocks during feeding. 
So for the marine iguana, salt sneezes are a means of removing excess levels of salt from the body, not a means of defense. Though even Charles Darwin, in his book The Voyage of the Beagle, described the act as follows, quote, They do not seem to have any notion of biting, but when much frightened, they squirt a drop of fluid from each nostril. First impressions, surely, as the basking iguanas seem to regularly emit salt, regardless of perceived fright. Still, this curious feature allows us an avenue by which to imagine the physiology of a fantastic salt dragon. Instead of expelling all of its excess salt, perhaps the giant fantastic creature is able to safely store the crystals or concentrated saline solution inside its body for later use as a defensive or offensive breath weapon. And for our final selection, let's head into the cave. Nothing beats a good Dungeons & Dragons cave environment. Whether you're talking about an isolated cavern lair for a surface rampaging monster or the dark subterranean kingdoms of the Underdark, either way, there's no shortage of exotic monsters to populate these environments, and at least two of them stand out for their mimicry of stalactites and stalagmites. First, let's refresh on the nature of stalactites and stalagmites. Stalactites, derived from the Greek to drip, is a mineral formation caused by dripping that forms on the ceiling. The corresponding formation on the floor of a cavern is a stalagmite. Some folks might keep this straight in their own heads by reminding themselves that stalactite has a C in it for ceiling, and stalagmite has a G in it for ground. At any rate, let's start on the floor. Amid the stalagmites of D&D, you'll find the occasional roper, a large one-eyed monster that mimics a silent cone of stone until an adventurer strays too close, then its tentacles lash out and pull the victim in towards its deadly maw. Amid the stalactites, you'll find an even more fascinating creature, the piercer. This predatory mollusk has a sharp stalactite-shaped shell, enabling it to blend in on a cavern ceiling until, guess what, along comes another hapless adventure and the piercer drops like the sword of Damocles and hopefully skewers the poor sap to the floor. If this is a success, the piercer or piercers, because sometimes they apparently live in groups, begin the feast. A fail, however, means the creature has to slowly crawl back up the wall to the ceiling in order to try its gravity-assisted attack once more. The Piercer is a fantastic monster concept, and both of these cave dwellers have been lashing out against adventurers since the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons. However, when we turn to the cave environments of the natural world, we don't find creatures that employ such tactics. While there are many amazing subterranean organisms with unique adaptations, you might well ponder over the seeming absence of stalactite and stalagmite mimics. As evolutionary developmental biologist William R. Jeffrey points out in his 2009 paper, Regressive Evolution in Astyanax Cavefish, quote, in surface-dwelling animals, pigmentation is used for protection from sunlight, camouflage, mimicry, and species and sex recognition all of which are irrelevant in the dark cave environment. Jeffrey is dealing chiefly with cave fish here in this paper, but I think we can safely apply this concept to other cave dwellers as well. 
Again, we have to remember that these are lightless worlds where sight and the organs of sight lose their importance. Other senses become the coin of the realm. In Dungeons and Dragons, however, we have to remember that these wholly fictional cave environments revolve entirely around the inevitable arrival of generally sighted characters, and they're often aided by magical vision, lamps, and or a plethora of bioluminescent fungi. And we have to remind ourselves that mimicry in the real world doesn't have to be visual. It can certainly be auditory. For instance, the greater mouse-eared bat has been observed to mimic the sounds of buzzing hornets to scare away predatory owl species. Meanwhile, Chinese cicadas are also known to use intraspecific sexual mimicry. That means males using female sounds in this case, which amounts to a similar sort of auditory deception. And hey, D&D has us covered there as well. With the lucrata, monstrous beasts said to lure in their victims by mimicking the voices of humans and other intelligent species, inspired by the half-hyena, half-lion creatures described by Pliny the Elder, said to reside in Ethiopia, yet, quote, mimics the voices of men and cattle. Tune in for additional episodes of The Monster Fact each week. As always, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.